dragon. And that dragon had a rider. And that rider's name was Cowboy Ninja. About the apocalypse, good Lord Nate Regolia, what's going on in this movie? Because I genuinely need help. I I love porno about the apocalypse <laughs> as the as the kind of tagline for it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying uh, this movie would have been fine if the nudity was removed. If all of the uh, because there's just so much, uh, it, it's all rape, really. Yeah. With the exception of like three instances instances of consensual sex, um, but if you took all of that out of the movie, I think this is still a really cool story. Yeah, like it's like a very functional, uh, you know, chosen one meets the Antichrist, fate of the world. Who's a fudge? It's a very like Catholic adventure story, except for all the rape, which is a different kind of Catholic adventure story. Well, it's yeah. I think it's the kind of Catholic that comes from uh, forcing Catholicism into Japan. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I mean, it's probably there's probably a lot of uh, like penis envy and sex panic and things uh, incorporated into this too. Yeah. Um, yeah so, the, so the basic plot of the movie, I think, is this: um, we open with an extraordinarily ominous voiceover uh, that explains that there are three worlds existing concurrently, which is very Catholic. Yes. Uh, so there's a world of humans. There is a world of half-human, half-beast, or half-demons, I guess. And then there's a world of demons. And these three worlds all just sort of exist and do their business. But every several hundreds or several thousands of years, uh, the Overfiend appears, which is a uh, kind of super creature that will uh, unite these three worlds 
um, bringing peace to them. Uh, or at least that's kind of what we're set up to believe. And that's what our hero, uh, uh, Amano Kai, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's what, that's what Amano Kai, the, the, who himself is a half human, half beast creature residing in that second world. Um, yeah, I mean, I meant, I, uh, I mentioned this to my boss because I was like, yeah, I'm going to hang out and record and gave a, a very rough summary about <laughs> the theme of the movie. And she immediately was like, oh, it's like uh, heaven, hell and purgatory. I was like, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> this. This movie is all about Catholicism to an extent. So so these worlds exist. Uh, this overfiend, which is called the Chojin, will uh, will appear. And uh, Amanakai thinks that. Or Amanujaku, that's his name. Amanujaku thinks that this person is going to come from Earth, and he's going to come soon. So we sort of join their search in media res, uh, as they're trying to... Basically, yeah, Amanujaku wants to bring peace to the world by creating this prophecy, by bringing this prophecy about. And uh, and that throws us into what is essentially a... Uh, kind of Porky's meets Hellraiser sort of scenario, I guess. Yes. Um, because we, we start with, uh, we open on a boy masturbating while peeping into the girl's locker room. Pause. He's masturbating to a woman, or a girl, it's not a woman, let's not get it twisted, that he is already dating? I don't know. That's it sure seems like it seems like they aren't together until after the bullying that happens subsequent to the initial masturbation. Right. But put a pin in that but, bullying for a second. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they. I, first of all, okay, all of the sex and nudity in this movie, with the exception of I think maybe two people, is underage girls. Which, yes. Is is part of the uh, extraordinarily problematic nature of, of the nudity in this because, uh, like I said before, you they could have alluded to all of this nudity and all of this sex without showing it overtly, and the story would have worked just as well. And apparently, this version that we saw is censored, or like oh, edited. Uh, yeah. Oh, so we so there's like a full penetration version that we didn't see. That is my assumption. Yes. Okay, because yeah, because the 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 one we watched, which was on YouTube, uh, uh, an English dub. Shockingly, it was on YouTube. Yeah, shockingly. Um, uh, yeah, it it pretty much it doesn't show any of the any of the actual sex act. Uh, so hey, if there if if there's a version where that's shown, then then. I kind of go even more toward the camp of we didn't really need that at all. I don't know. I mean, I certainly, I think it's supposed to be some sort of landmark in this hentai animated film genre. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like it added anything to the story or to the mythos. No, it's really not like, it's not something that, the plot depends on, you know what I mean? Like like you said, you could do a heavy edit of this movie. I mean, but the problem is if you edited all that shit out, the movie would be like 40 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, there would there would be maybe a, a TV pilot here. 
and this isn't even shot as an entire movie. It's like three different um, animation, like sh- like forty minute animations that they stitch together as a movie. Oh. Okay, okay. Which explains, well, I think, some of the jarring shifts in the narrative. Yeah, that would explain the disorientation stuff. Yeah, because there there are definitely like major differences between the act breaks. Yeah, I'm throwing pretty heavy air quotes on act breaks. Um, yeah, you know, okay, so. So the, this boy is jerking off. Yeah. So so okay yeah so it, like so, as he looks into a locker room like you said a la Porky's the first one. Yeah. He, he's looking through the peephole. He's jerking off. Um, I wanted to I wanted to note that whenever they show exteriors of the school, there's a star of David on the school. Did you notice that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know what the Jewish population in Japan is. I'm sure it's significant to the people that are Jewish in Japan, but I don't know that it's significant enough that they have, like, an entire Jewish high school. Yeah, I mean, I, who knows? But, Maybe it was a My Bad for World War Two. Oh, hey, there you go. It's kind of trying to make up for uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Arcadia stuff. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Um, yeah, so so he's just kind of peeping and jerking off, and he keeps like muttering this girl's name, who's Keme, uh, and there's clearly like, uh, well, uh, for one, none of the female characters are drawn very differently in any sort of way, and everybody's pretty interchangeable. Although Akeme is in the movie throughout, she's once again one of these almost completely agency-free female characters. Yes, um, she's she's getting. Uh, uh, I mean, she gets rape attacked shortly after the masturbation scene. Um, so yeah, so it, our our hero Nagumo <laughs> is masturbating and looking through this hole, and then he he gets caught, I guess, um, and sneaks off to watch basketball practice because the same girl is going to is on the cheerleading squad. So I now that like, he's watched her change, I feel like there is an entire basketball game happening. While this gymnastics routine is also happening on the same gym floor, also this just in from the internet that the Star of David is also a Shinto uh, symbol oh. called the Kagome Crest, but they're not related. Okay, great. Yeah. So well, hey guys, you learned something here on this week's episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like so, like I thought it was practice, but there are way too many people in the stands. For this Japanese high school basketball practice, so I'm assuming this is an actual game with a side of uh, a tumbling floor routine. So okay, so then we're to assume perhaps that we've reached halftime, and the the cheer squad is coming out to do a routine, and that's when uh, the uh, super jock guy whose name is Osaki uh, catches Nagumo now masturbating. In a bin of volleyballs, like the yes, the little wire true. that little wire cage basket that you'd keep various balls in. Yeah, and and he's uh, he loudly announces that he's blown his second load. Yeah, he says, "Oh no, I came again," <laughs> which is uh, yeah hilarious. Um, and then so and here's where it gets interesting <laughs> because Osaka is the jock, and I guess during halftime he he takes a moment to make fun of. Uh, Nagumo for his masturbating habit, which, I mean, 
this is really a good time for shame, I think, in any context. Yeah, yeah sometimes shame's important. You, you probably shouldn't be doing this in a populated high school gymnasium during a sports game. No. Uh, but then he goes, he, like, in, in some sort of tussle, he, like, shoves him, and Nagumo gets a cut on his cheek. No, 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 what happens is, uh, Osaki notices him j- jerking off in the, the ball-retaining cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> and whips a basketball from half court and hits him in the face with it, causing said cut. Okay, great. Yeah. So after after hitting him in the face with a, with with a ball, and we yeah. can decide whether that's a metaphor in itself or not. Uh, he goes over and uh, picks the kid up, picks Nagumo up, and decides to just sort of sensually lick his cheek and lick the blood off of his cheek. Hang on, you're doing the scene justice. I'm sorry. I don't want to step on you. He picks him up. I says, what you doing? He looks down, and his exact quote is, that's quite a boner you've got there. <laughs> yeah, you're and right. You're then right. he says, oh, no, you've been cut. Well, I'd be happy to take care of that for you. And then licks the blood off of him, like you said, in the most sensual way. And then goes, see you later, dick face. And walks <laughs> off to have all the other people around him laugh at dick face. Not to comment on the guy talking about how fantastic his boner is, nor the the Bram Stoker's Dracula-esque face lick. But yeah, was the, there, uh, yeah, go ahead. But the dick face is the sticking point. Like It's like they have some kind of memento-type disease where they can only remember literally the last thing that just happened. <laughs> well, and like, why would... Yeah, why would you call the guy that you just licked dick face after yeah. my, his dick? Is there some kind of, like, tongue etiquette for making fun of people in Japan? Like, is that how you shame somebody? By, like, lovingly caressing their face with your tongue? I mean, we we uh, only need to go about two-thirds further into the movie to see another young man lick the ejaculate off of a woman's face. That's correct. Although his motivations are much different from uh, Osaki the Jock. Same result, so, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it, it. Body fluids are super powered in this movie. Is this a <laughs> some kind they... of, Is this some kind of allegory for STIs? Oh God, yeah. Maybe it is. It's like it's like the uh, spiritual prequel to It Follows. Oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> um, Much sexier than It Follows. Oh man. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's I mean, fucking creepy naked grandpas on a roof in this movie. <laughs> No, we we nobody nobody who's nude is older than I'm going to guess seventeen uh, and a half. Yeah, I'd say that's probably right. Yes, yeah, this, this movie doesn't venture into legal nudity at any point. <laughs> one so, of the one teacher who comes up here soon. I assume oh yeah, yeah, age. that's Miss Togami <laughs> because Miss Miss Togami. Uh, my note. This is my note for this, and and we can we can clean this up a little bit. Miss Togami is looking for orgasms and explodes Akeme's leotard, then sprinkles demon magic on yeah. her pussy, and then, <laughs> and then that's it. Oh, and then she fingers her, and there's a gossamer tendril connecting her fingers and the what was her vagina, um, and they sparkle. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some sort of twilight esque shimmering thing happening uh, when it comes to sex. Uh, juices. Yeah, all the um, while, um... Meanwhile, yeah, uh, 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 
Tagamo and and our half demon half uh, half human friend Amanu Jaku are sitting outside in the hallway just watching this happen too. And and I I, I don't want to not say this, but Akeme is screaming and is definitely not into this. A teacher is raping a student, and these two boys are just sitting in the hallway going like, "Huh, this is pretty hot." Yeah, especially after the one had just received several instances of comeuppance for being a pervert, i.e. Uh, traumatic head injury, brush with homosexuality, and, and, and public, twice. public humiliation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so they don't they don't uh, they don't really do anything. Um, although, <laughs> uh, and then and then Miss Togami uh, as the as the uh, I guess the sexuality of the situation increases, becomes more and more demonic. Her face rips off, revealing sort of a uh, demon face, and body explodes into what appears to be I don't know. St- six or seven dozen dick tendril arm things that are all uh, flying around yeah, trying, to, that, trying to I, get into a Kemi. Yeah, that seems like a conservative number, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and I guess I didn't really get any clear sense as to why that was happening. Like, why this Makai, Makai are the way we reference demons in this, in this world, why this particular Makai was doing that to a Kemi. I think she's just really horny. That's it. I think okay. that's it. Yeah. That's fine then. All right. So it's just a really horny demon with no other motivation. Uh, Do most people then, have a second motivation? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really, I mean, uh, to an extent. I mean, we're getting pretty Freudian here, but I, probably everybody uses that as a motivation and conduit toward whatever they create or, or do. So, Sure. I mean, and no one else in this movie cares about much of anything. No. Except Amanu Jaku. And maybe his sister, who is, like, really cool but totally sidelined for the majority of the movie. And also uh, impossibly horny. Yes. Because there's, yeah, I, I mean, okay. So a, a general note about the way that this film is presented is that in any opportunity... To if there is ever an opportunity to show a woman's panties, they are shown. Yes. Now that's either that someone bends over to pick something up off the floor, and we definitely get a close-up panty shot, or the camera pans across the uh, does a kind of low-angle shot across the top of a building, and you better believe we're going to see some panties. Like it's all the time. You better believe that's a panty. (laughs) That's a panty. I think the only person that doesn't either masturbate furiously or try to fuck somebody or successfully rape somebody in this movie is Amanu Jaku. Yeah, he's he's pretty much asexual. He's just in it for the children. Yeah. That's all he wants. He's like the only um, one at the strip club that's like concerned about actually tending bar, you know what I mean? He's like Yeah, you know, he's like we're, we're he's, here to, he's we're picking up on the music cues. He's like we got to, you know, <laughs> It's time for slow ride. I got to cue slow ride, and then I got to make some jacks and jack and cokes. Uh, so, uh, so Amanu Jaku finally decides to go in there, and he uses his demon exploding powers and blows up uh, Miss Togami 
so that that, uh, I guess, halts the rape, doesn't actually prevent it from happening. Um, and then we get introduced to uh, his pet, which is like a little floating monkey man named yeah. Kuroko. And his sister, whose name consistently escapes me. Um, yeah, it's like, is it, no, it isn't like a Gumi, is it? Or is that the, I don't know, man, like, I, I had a hard time with the names. They're all very similar. Yeah, they're all, they're all very similar. I, Just I'm like sure the... I have it on an, in a note here somewhere, because I did write it down once I heard it. <laughs> but... Just like the three different factions, like the Earthmen faction, the Hybrid faction, the Demon faction, all their names are, like, so close, it's hard to, like, unless you're, like, a hardcore fan of this, it's hard to keep them straight. And, and by hardcore fan, you mean, like, the top commenter on the YouTube been, uh, site for this. Yeah, been, uh, what did you say, been spanking it to this since 1998? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was something, it was something like that. Or still, still spanking it to this in 2018. <laughs> with, 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 with the kind of lovingly placed ellipses at the end that just says that, like, that, that was a wistfully tossed aside comment by a real fan yeah he's like the throw of masturbating the <laughs> anime on youtube <laughs> it's like i gotta tell people about this uh, so uh yeah so then uh, you know it's really just a bunch of like peeping and uh the the little demon monkey kuroku guy calls someone else a pervert oh yeah yeah okay because because then then we kind of <sighs> So, uh, rapist teacher is killed, and then we jump immediately to uh, uh, Amanu Jaku, his monkey Kuroku, and his sister, uh, who are scouting out Osaki, the basketball player's house, because they think he's the Chojin, because he's, a, he's like a super badass, right? He's the uh, cock of the walk at school, so he's got to be the chosen one. He's and such an incredible high school basketball player that he has no less than... 30 broads in his apartment all trying to suck him off at once. And with the exception of uh, Nagamu in this movie, uh, any time that there is a male character who is afforded some sort of sexual prowess, it's it's a, it's a, an orgy. It's a one-man, multiple-woman orgy. It's the weirdest thing. But yeah, so, so they're like peeping into Osaki's place and I guess he's watching porn while also like getting a blowjob or whatever. <laughs> and he's so disinterested. Yeah, he's, it, it, you have to picture this, that he's like, he's sitting on a couch and he has like seven completely naked women all around him. And he's just got that like, uh, what's on TV look on his face. And he lives in like Mark Zuckerberg's loft. Like he has this like impossible apartment for this high school basketball player. <laughs> And apparently no parents. No. Like, you get no indication of any other adults, and he maybe could be 18, I guess. If he's a senior, he could be an 18-year-old. Right. But he is otherwise, like, ugh, ugh it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, the monkey, the monkey, while they're all watching this orgy go down, comments that Osaki is a fucking pervert, which is just another one of these, like, great ironies in these movies of... <laughs> people who are doing exactly the same thing as the person they're commenting on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the sister thinks that uh, it's not Osaki that's the Chojin, even though uh, that's what uh, Amano Jaku thinks. She thinks that it's Nagumo, our little masturbating friend. Yeah, based on um, I don't know what. 
Yeah, I, they have some sort of maybe secret demon, half demon, half human spidey sense. I, it's not really made clear. I mean, this whole thing seems it's based off a very long running manga, yeah, hentai series. So uh, again, we're kind of we're, we're kind of looking at a Cliff's Notes version, I think, of the story. Um, though I do think this one did it the best out of what we've watched uh, to a certain degree, anyway. Yeah. So so anyway, we're mid orgy. And Osaki's dick starts glowing like a lightsaber, like bright blue. Uh, and he throws all the women off of him, and they go flying, and they're all fucking killed instantly and gruesomely. Yeah, they're, like, vivisected. This movie's fucking gross. On top of being, like, sexually gross, it's, like, regular gross. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, people's, uh, like, it, it's it's like the, uh, the dog uh, bursting in the thing every yes. single time someone dies. And it is just as gross, and there are as many tendrils and as much blood and gore and splatter. It's, yeah, it's remarkable. Um, which I did think was pretty great. It's, like, really good body horror. This is Cronenberg-level kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Not as overtly sexual as David Cronenberg's movies, but... <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, so Osaki, like, looks around, and he's like, oh, no, what happened? This is so crazy. I'm terrified. And then, uh... Then uh, uh, demons start emerging out of the corpses of these naked women, and they're coming after him. And this uh, leads to kind of a mini kaiju fight, uh, where uh, Osaki ends up getting eaten by this demon in, into its gut, like literally into its belly button. He's devoured, and, and then he sort of spit he spit back out, and Osaki looks then. Uh, just about exactly like the Man Bat from the Batman animated series. Yeah, uh, this is the second time this character has come up in two consecutive mole shows. Professor Kirk Langstrom got mentioned yesterday. Oh, nice! I haven't yeah. finished listening to the to the episode about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter <laughs> yet, but I didn't uh, care for it. If you're waiting to find out, oh, I can't wait to hear you guys talk about how much <laughs> you care for it because I can only imagine after listening to that that uh, preview line, I was just like, holy Christ. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad that, uh, yeah, you would gave you be, a sorry to, Yeah, not to spoil it for you, but would you be at all surprised if that movie stopped dead for 45 minutes to have the Civil War? Are you kidding me? No, not at all. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so stupid. Why? Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, does and he's not, like, hunting vampires during the Civil War? No, I, without getting into the whole thing, um, you'll find out what the Civil War thing is when you listen to the show and don't watch the movie. I don't recommend it. Okay, no, you, don't worry, I, I won't. Okay. Um, so yeah, so then then we get this fight between uh, a demon and Osake as man-bat, Dr. Kirk Langstrom, uh, which Lee, he fights off a couple of the demons and then Amanu Jaku decides to test Osake to prove he's the Chojin by like shooting him with a blast of man beast energy i guess which uh it appears initially that osake absorbs and he's like yeah cool he's the he's the chojin and then suddenly like he turns back into normal osake shape and uh bursts into flames yeah. as if he just looked upon the ark of the covenant yeah he absorbed the energy blast in the same way that uh sunny corleone absorbed all those bullets at the toll booth <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and it's and it's a great death scene because he sort of like just 
vaporizes from the inside out and the outside in at the same time. Um, and then, and then we get just this bit of exposition that's like, oh, I guess the blood must have given him that power. Yes. Nagumo's blood. So, so Nagumo temper by, by licking Nagumo's cut like a weirdo, he temporarily got dick power that also led him to be misidentified as Chojin. Yeah, it is the weirdest superhero origin story I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So then we get, uh, we cut to uh, Akeme sort of try- being consoled by Nagumo, but she's not even dressed yet at the hospital, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And so then she's hanging out with Nagumo, and Nagumo's like, hey, I'm not going to let anything happen to you, etc. And Akeme just immediately is like, oh, you're the best. You're the best ever because you're, you're saying that you'll take care of me even though you're 16 or 15 or whatever. And uh, all that anybody has ever seen you do is jerk off uh, in the background while things happen to me. But I, I trust <laughs> you this time. Um, and then, and then uh, Amanojaku's sister uh, horns in on the situation because she, she's going to try to have sex with Nagumo to see if he's the Chojin. But then Nagumo's like, oh no, and he runs into traffic and gets hit by a car. <laughs> that is what happens. So, so then we're in the hospital, and Nagumo appears to be dead and in the morgue. But then he suddenly pops awake, and he has uh, glowing red eyes, and he violently and disgustingly rapes this female morgue worker. Yeah. And she explodes from set which <laughs> is like, uh, you know, it, it's the sort of thing that, it, again, this is like, it's taking the, It's taking the trope of the ruined woman to the nth degree. I mean, she is literally ruined because she is in chunks. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's super disturbing. And then it's also kind of just another moment of, why Why is this happening? Like, at what point are you jerking off to this, is my question. Yeah, exactly. I mean, our our, our number one YouTube commenter is is has some serious issues. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's nothing here that's even, like, remotely sexy. It's all very... This is, like, the worst context for yeah. sex to happen yeah, it is. in every it's, single instance. It's bad. Really, there's only one at the... near the end is the only time when it's kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of sweet now. Yeah, like, the only way that it would be worse is if all the sex scenes took place in Brian Singer's pool. Oh, my God. Well, you know, he'll probably direct this movie in two <laughs> Bring him in and be like, here, Brian, we need you to interview an entirely uh, underage female cast for this movie. We're going to do this. We're going to make it very female empowering, but we need you to, you know... Like, on top of being an alleged rapist... Of minors, he's also a terrible director because at least uh, Roman Polanski directed Chinatown. Yeah, and Rosemary's Baby. Right. I mean, so I'm not saying yeah. throw him one, but like. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, yeah, the, the yeah Hollywood's yeah. Hollywood's uh, willful, whatever, willful amnesia about these yeah. people is is pretty absurd. Because yeah, like the. I don't know. And, and and James Gunn remains not doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is absurd. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. So he then the hospital explodes via his like impossible erection, blowing yeah, through yeah, the I, I, hospital. Yeah, I took it to be like he. So his his one giant like, and we're talking about a pretty giant dick that he's using to rape the the morgue worker yeah. uh, and explode her, and then that turns into like a, a caddo nine dicks. Yeah. Which have feet and shit hanging off of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this whole thing, and it, and he starts like growing in mass and absorbing people who are in the hospital who are trying to run away. They keep getting sort of like absorbed into the dick tendrils, and then he just uh, grows so large that the entire hospital explodes. Um, and it's kind of clear right there that like maybe the Chojin's not a cool thing. I don't know. Seems seems a little fishy to me. Right. Uh, but and, the the brother and sister unfazed by this. Yeah, they're just kind of watching, like, oh yeah, I told you that Nagomu was something. <laughs> uh, and then and then we cut to this very weird. Oh yeah, we so then we cut to like the Hell Planet, I guess, which is a world that appears to be all alien xenomorphs and sperm tadpoles swimming around eating each other. Yeah. And the rough-voiced Satan character, I guess, I don't really know, sends his Bebop and Rocksteady to go check Nagumo out and try to stop him? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that is the order in which these events happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, At what point does Nikki, the boy, get introduced? Right now. Okay. This movie now has its ducky, a la Pretty in Pink, in Nikki. <laughs> Who Nikki is in love with Akeme, and he is even more awkward than Nagumo, although he doesn't appear to have any sort of misunderstanding about when and where to masturbate. No, no, he's he's good with that. And, and simultaneously, uh, Nagumo is just no longer a dick demon, and Akeme is in love with him. There seems to be zero consequences for the fact that Nagumo turned into a demon, destroyed a hospital, killed probably. 800 to 1,000 people. Yeah, I'd say this sounds good. Yeah. Uh, no consequences at all. He's just back at high school. It's like it, it's like he had a bad evening. Uh, and yeah, It's a party of shit got out of hand. And then, and then uh, yeah, so uh, Nikki's in love with her. Nikki's kind of jealous. Um, but he doesn't, he's too, he's too introverted to talk to Akeme, so, like, nothing really comes of that. We just sort of get a little, a little exposition <laughs> set up. He's, you know? he's dressed like Russell Crowe in Romper Stomper for some reason. He's got, like, the fucking boots and the suspenders and the rolled up shirt, which is yeah. Really odd. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he seems like he could be, I, I don't know, like, he's maybe he's like a, a skinhead. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe he's just like a Dexy's Midnight Runners fan. Uh, possibly. Or he's gonna be one of those like, no, I'm a anti skinhead skinhead. It's like, well, don't wear the same uniform, bud. Like, yeah. <laughs> like this. Yeah, I saw the, I saw a guy walking by uh, by our building the other day, who I immediately thought was a skinhead, but then he had some sort of slogan on his jacket that was about remembering a slaughter of miners that happened in Colorado in the 1800s. Yeah. Which that doesn't. I mean, he can't be a skinhead. But yeah. I was like, huh, I, I have no idea about your motivations. Um, anyway. Don't, don't be so, like, 
don't like purposely obfuscate what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, don't make me think the one thing just so you can give me the Shyamalan at the end of it. Like, right? Yeah, just just if like you're gonna be a skinhead. Be a skinhead. You can wear literally any other outfit and haircut in the world, and I will automatically give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not a racist and an anti-Semite, except for the one thing you chose to wear, which you have to now convince me that you're not. Right. Which seems like it's at cross-purposes. Yeah, because it's it, maybe it's just a conversation starter. You know, it's, like the co- it's like a coffee table book skinhead. I, I remember I was dating somebody and I was talking to her about it. She's like, well, they did it first. You know, the skinheads weren't always racist. I was like, well, you know, other people had that mustache before Hitler, but sometimes you just got to take the L on the fashion. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. too tied into something else. I mean, Charlie Chaplin shaved it off when he did the uh, his dictator movie Yeah, to comment on Hitler. He didn't just go right into it. No, and now it's Michael Jordan's mustache. <laughs> Bringing it back. Oh, man. Um, okay, so now we're with Nikki, who is uh, promised ultimate power by getting a demon dick, a Lucy demon dick, thrown on him and being told to replace his own with it. It won't take very long, is the the quote from the Malbosia thing. Yeah. Yeah, our, our two sidekick demons are like, hey, if you want, if you want any, if you want ultimate power... You just have to kill some people, kill two people, and then put this dick on. Put this demon dick on. And you'll and you'll have everything that you've ever wanted. Yeah. But, and then it but goes guess to what? A... The demon's the demon dick is a real monkey's paw. <laughs> it goes to like a flashback, flash forward of his dad just beating him like like unmercifully, like he's trying to win something. While his mother, like Arsenio Hall show audience esque, cheers him on in the background. Yeah, it's it is it is the most absurdly over the top and gruesome form of child abuse outside of all of the child rape that happens in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he uh, so then yeah he decides to kill uh, kill his parents in recompense for that. That we we establish that hey, it's not really a bad thing that he kills his parents; they're awful. Um, but he's so, also like a, a squashed incel before I guess everybody had a word for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have two, I have two notes that I, that I have to share with you. So I have, I have one note, which is, this is an incel murder fantasy about women having power they don't have. Yeah. That's one. Uh, note two is Nikki's not actually ducky at all. So much as Eddie Brock. But the symbiote is that demon dick. It is. That's a good call. Right? Yeah. What you don't see between scenes is him reporting cam girls to the IRS. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I, I love that you guys brought that up on the show. I got that far, and I was like, what the hell? Like, just, uh, whatever. Like, what kind of sad motherfucker are you? <laughs> this is how you spend your time. One, doing anything to help the FBI. Like, Period. Well, and, and if you feel so powerless, like there, there are so many other things you can do with your energy than to me, just if, than if, to just try to subvert another person's success. If you are a young, soft boy, I know places you can make money doing shit on cameras. Trust me, trust me. Come, I will hook you up. If, if you feel <laughs> like it's a lack of a level playing field, I Nate. I don't want to put it like this, but I know some dirty old queens that will pay some money for some weird shit. So, 
Oh just, yeah, well, I, you know, get, I think there's a market out there boy. for everything. Of course and, there is. You got that's it, man. You gotta you gotta know your worth and find your niche. Yeah, which is which is why this yeah the whole incel thing is just so disgusting because I mean beyond just the obvious stuff, it's like get over yourselves and grow up. Right. Like can't I mean I, I think I think maybe TJ said it, but like I, I've gotten used to the the fact that he said something like he's gotten used to the fact that like a supermodel is not gonna sleep with him. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's like, yeah, I think part of what growing up is is kind of going, hey, you know what's more valuable than, like, having sex with idealized women? It's having good relationships with real women. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, potato, potato. But, like, it's always <laughs> like the... Uh, it's like that old Dennis Leary bit where he's like, when I was six, I thought I was going to be the starting center fielder for the Red Sox. I wasn't. Life sucks. Get a helmet. Like, it's <laughs> just... That's how it goes, man. Oh, man. Um, okay, so he, he cuts off his dick with, like, the blade part of a old Steez office paper cutter? Yeah, 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 yep. He he makes a nice clean cut, just drops it right down, cuts the dick off, puts the magical dick on. Uh, something starts to happen, and we cut to... Fist uh, of the North Star. Yes. <laughs> we are... So, uh, concurrent to this, uh, Amanu Jaku has taken Nagumo and Akeme to his planet to meet up with the uh, old sensei master of that of that world because he wants to show Nagumo to the guy and prove that he's the Chojin. And all and what happens instead is that our half demon wise guy is just like, don't bring evil into the land of the Jojin Kai. And he freaks out because there's something not cool with Nagumo. But we don't really know yet. Yeah, he and gets, then he gets the old uh, Yoda Anakin episode one thing like dangerous this boy is. Yeah, that's exa exactly what it is. Um, so yeah, so we get that, and then we and then we jump back, and uh, Nikki is going all Roadhouse on a bunch of punks at school. They're, but they're not—they're like super punks. They're like <laughs> mutant punks. Yeah, they're like massive, weird-looking dudes. That I don't know why they're there. No. Because we haven't established that there's any weird things on Earth yet. Like or how, on the human planet. Like, how good of a college prep program does this high school have that you would send your kid to it at this point? With all the shit that's constantly going on? Yeah, no, you, you would think that there would be parents around. Or even, let's say, teachers. But we see neither at any point. No. Uh, other than uh, the rapist lady teacher at the beginning. Um... Uh, so uh, then he, uh, so Nikki then tries to grab uh, Akeme and he's like, you're coming with me. You're going to be with a real man. And she's like, no, I don't want that. And, uh, Nagumo kind of talks him down. And so Nikki just turns around and takes a bunch of other girls who thrilled at his beating up of the, uh, super punks want to go home with him where we get a similar scene to what happened with basketball player Osaki, uh, which I noted as he just does a bunch of incel hate fucking because he's a garbage person, right? With his like presumably sharp tendrilist dick. Yeah, and he's and he's doing this and like as he's really like brutalizing the woman that he's having sex with, he starts uh, visualizing a keme's face on her body, which makes him momentarily I think break and think about what he's doing, but then he just does it harder, which yeah, is he, like, okay, so there's no redemption here. He's putting it to her like a Hall of Fame two guard in Eagleton, Colorado. Oh, shit. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, mm. I mean, I uh, we can't reference that enough. Academy oh. Award winner or not. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Settled out of court. Um, As you do when you're innocent. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've paid a lot of parking tickets that I never got. <laughs> right. I love doing that. Just part of the... It's part of giving back, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then I just have an all-caps note saying women are completely interchangeable sex sex objects in this movie. It's not a very not a very deep observation, but it's true. Yeah, and it would even be better, like, not that it would make it good, but it would be better if they, like, got their powers through sex or something. You know what I mean? But that's not... I, yeah. If, if... Yeah, if there was something... Because... We do find out later that that Akeme is important to the mythos, but we don't find that out. But but under no other circumstance is a woman important to the mythos. And it would have been cool if it was like, oh yeah, you do. You get you get some sort of I don't know some sort of power from it. I guess like. Uh. Then I have a note that demon sex causes natural disasters. So I think. Um, wh- where are we where, um, Nikki Licks' fluorescent come off the ceiling? Like, are we near that part or we're, no? We're very close, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, after his, uh, incel hate-fucking, um, we get, oh yeah, so Nikki gets basically told that he's going to be the anti-Chojin. So the demons want him to stop the Chojin from from happening. So now what we have is a very complicated situation where the Chojin is this sort of natural order thing. The uh, Amano Jaku wants to bring the Chojin on because he believes the Chojin is going to unite the three worlds and create peace. The demons don't want that to happen, which I think we can only assume at this point in the movie is because they're evil. Right. They don't know. They're not hip to what's going to happen. Right, and the uh, and the humans don't have any idea what's going on, and and I I don't think I've mentioned this before enough, but uh, there's a number of moments in this movie where horrifyingly strange things happen, and people just sort of look at them. They're surprised by them the same way they might be by a squirrel leaping from a tree at them. It's yeah, like like, like a shooting star. Yeah, they're spooked, like, yeah. but they're not like holy shit! I've never seen a demon before, and this is a very odd occurrence. And now I'm going into a Lovecraftian sort of uh, brain, uh, mental breakdown. Yeah, because, like you said, they they mention that it only happens once every, like, few hundred years. So it's not like this shit's just going on all... It's not one of those anime where there's just weird shit just constantly happening and that's just part of the world they live in. Yeah. It's like this... We're led to believe that this is, like, a singular event. Yeah, that nobody reacts to it whatsoever. Yeah. No, no one sees. Yeah, it is. It is. Everyone is nonplussed. Um, and and then we cut to uh, Amanu Jaku, uh, Kuroko the monkey, and his sister watching um, uh, Nagumo and Akeme. Yeah. And they say something to the effect of, "Ah, they're always getting at it." And then we see them. Yeah, start... yeah it was basically like, yeah, they fuck too much. But they don't. But they don't actually seem to have. I don't think they've actually had sex yet, at least based on. So they 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 just start sixty nineing is what happens, yeah. and uh, and because Nagumo uh, is a young man, he blows his load very quickly, and then Nikki flies in through the window and grabs Akeme, 
and then licks uh, Nagumo's semen off of her face. Oh, you, you forgot, uh, not that it's pertinent to the plot, but uh, the sister is, like, viciously fingering herself while this is going oh, on. Oh, shit, you're right. Okay, yep. So that's also happening. Um, <laughs> the, and the why people are doing these things is never explained. So if you're if you're sitting at home or you're walking or you're on your commute and you're wondering, you're you're thinking, Nate and Sean are gonna tell me why all these people are jerking off so much, and there's some sort of demon magic here that's causing a hypersexuality, you're never gonna find out because they never tell us. No, there's no not some kind of mass sexual psychosis. It's just everybody's just maybe they're all like of Serbian descent. I guess they could be. <laughs> God. Um We've got it. We're we're really doing well tangentially tying these movies together, though. Yeah, they're, yeah, it's, it's very accidental. Yeah, this is Uncle TJ's pick, by the way. So yeah, thanks, thanks, TJ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're. But friends. also thanks, TJ, because this really like this was a this was a pretty interesting movie. Um, uh, so yeah, Akime, who has the worst life of any human being ever, is now grabbed by Nikki, and uh, they're gonna have a fight. Um, and we have uh, the information revealed that the Chojin is not what we what uh, Amano Jaku thinks it is, but that's said in a very ominous way with no with no answer. Um, but there is a moment where we sort of think that like where where I thought, oh, this is an interesting parable about conservatism versus progressivism. Like you uh, thought wrong. I I definitely did <laughs> because that is not what happens at all. Um, so, uh, let's see. The movie, like, as a movie, almost ceases to function around this point. Yeah, yeah, really, I, I think this is where it started to drag for me so much that I started to get really confused about what was happening. Yeah, Although the fight, the fight sequence that's about to happen was kind of cool. Um, but then we introduce yet another partial demon character. And there's time travel that's going to happen, uh, and it's sort of like, oh, wow, this probably needed to be longer or several more movies to capture everything that's in the comics. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Um, so Nikki's yeah. like, hey, I stole you, so you're mine. So then he rapes Akeme, and then Nagumo shows up, and they have this crazy fight in a construction site. Uh, Nikki throws a bunch of uh, uh, steel beams down that appears to kill Nagumo, and blood is everywhere, and then uh, basically, like, Akeme... Well, yeah, so, okay. Thinking, <laughs> thinking that Nagumo is dead, Akeme begs Nikki to save him and says she'll do anything, and... Nikki's response is that she needs to start touching herself, and then he might save Nagumo. Um, and so she just does, because yeah. there's no... She apologizes yeah, profusely beforehand. Uh, um, and, then, and then they have a fight, because Nagumo's blood sort of congeals. He turns into this monster thing. They have this battle. Um, it, it, it very much feels like a Spider-Man versus Venom-style fight. And then, uh, and then he, Nikki is killed. Yeah, and then from this point, uh, besides whatever's going on with a, uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Amanu Jaku. Amanu Jaku in his in the movie that he's in, everything else becomes a loosely woven together collection of sex 
slash rape. I hate to keep calling them sexy, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, because I feel like we said rape a lot. Like, yeah, the only the only consensual sex that happens is there's one at the end uh, between between Nagumo and and Akame, and then otherwise there are several cuts to demons in the demon world having sex that appears to be consensual. Yeah, where you have like six-breasted women because we we needed to do that. Yeah, but this just becomes like a music video of like apocalypse happenings, which all look cool, and various rapes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Amanajaku is like astral traveling, finding out that in the future the Earth is actually destroyed. Yeah, and he's like, "This isn't what I wanted. This doesn't look like peace. What happened? What happened to the whole thing with the Chojin?" Right, and then he comes back. Well, he he finds out he 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 tries to get into Osaka Castle, but he can't because his master's energy uh, runs out. Yeah, was this castle thing brought up until this point, or no? Nope, just happened then. Okay. Yeah. Would have been nice to have maybe uh, planted the seeds a little earlier for that, but yeah. Yeah, um, like you almost see like the layers, like the whatever, you know, the the Softbank Hawks baseball stadium is actually like this castle in another dimension, you know what I mean? Like the, the kind of like, what is that, Richard Bachman? Or no, what is That's Stephen King, The Talisman, you remember that book? I don't or think like, I read every, that one, but... I, yeah, we're... You get the idea. Every, every place that's in the real world has some kind of mirror counterpart in the other dimension, but it's, like, you know, so, somewhat skewed. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's kind of like how the uh, the underworld in Beetlejuice works. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, 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 Jaku doesn't find out what's in Osaka Castle, but what he does see is that there is a giant... Uh, future Nagumo demon that is just running around dick lasering everything. It's just all being destroyed. <laughs> yes, that is what happens. And then, and then he's pulled back into uh, the present time and, and dimension. And we have a there's like this Makai lady spirit that uses Nikki's corpse to make like a demon Voltron. Kakaju, I think, is what he's referred to as. And this character comes up earlier in the film, I think, too. As like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to... But, like, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is some kind of mention of it earlier. Because it's like this... It's like a, a long, white-haired dude in a trench coat who appears to have limbs missing and stuff, and Amunajaku and him kind of fight at another point. And there's, it's alluded to that they battled in the past. Oh, yeah, because they fight way earlier in the movie because they show that scene of him getting his face blown halfway off and then they have that, like, uh, Dragon Ball Z, Agent Smith, Neo fight in the middle of the street. That's, like, way earlier in the movie. Yeah, which is, which yeah, yeah, yeah. is when none of the people, none of the humans know right, right. there. They just sort of go like, oh, two flying people flew over us really fast. That was that was surprising. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So she's going to, but, uh, yeah, so Amunajaku kills that guy, presumably. And so this Makai lady spirit is going to use Nikki's corpse to make a new version of Kaku, Kakaju. Uh, then I have a note that says it drags a bit at the hour mark, which it does. 
Uh, there's still 40 minutes left in this movie. This is, we are, yeah, we, uh, yeah. And uh, we're going at about the pace the movie does. Um, so uh, Nagumo and Akeme, uh, I finally go to the bone zone. But uh, Nagumo is literally a demon in the sack. <laughs> yeah, and is, he, he's mashing it from behind while his eyes glow in the window. And she doesn't seem concerned about that. You know, she's had a weird week, so... (laughs) There's an extent to which it seems like Akeme thinks that sex just is men turning into monsters, and maybe that is an undercurrent point of this movie. Um, Because I I, I sort of compared it to the way... I don't know if you watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer at all. uh, The show. Sorry? No, I was a boy. (laughs) Well, no, Alec loves that show. Like he's a big fan. I was, yeah, I was, I was uh, a big fan of that show too. But there's a whole storyline in that where Buffy's uh, boyfriend Angel, who is a good vampire, he has a soul that's been given to him by gypsies. Uh, they have sex finally, and that's what causes his soul to to go away. And so then she has to fight her boyfriend, who literally turns into uh, a monster after he's gotten what he wants, kind of thing. Um, which I thought, yeah, okay, there's kind of a parallel there. It's clearly not a new idea. But it turned um, out that Joss Whedon was the actual sexual monster the whole time. Damn right. <laughs> um, God. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and then we get sort of a, an interior, uh, inside uh, Akeme's body scene where I think she just gets impregnated. Like, we, we go into sperm cam to... Swing it up to her egg. Yeah, and they cut to Homer in the living room, pantomiming it with his arms <laughs> waving behind him. <laughs> several, several of Nagumo's boys are just bonking into each other at first because <laughs> they become lazy from working. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So, okay. So then, then we pretty much find out. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Nagumo turns into this giant demon that. Uh, uh, Amano Jaku has just seen in the future and he's like oh shit and then we get the realization that to unite the worlds the Overfiend actually just destroys all of them yeah they should have known with a name like the Overfiend it probably wasn't going yeah. to be good I mean we're we're dealing with Overfiend as an English translation but I have to I have to imagine that the the very complex to pronounce Japanese title of this has some sort of negative allusion to it it's like, I forget who was talking about it, but it's like, they always name, and shit that goes wrong in sci-fi, they always give it the worst names, like Project Janus and Project Arcturus. It's like, why don't they ever just call it Operation Great Job? Like, you know naming it something bad will result in something bad. We're gonna call this Operation Pandora. Yeah. What could go wrong? No, you gotta get uh, that unobtainium, which somebody <laughs> got paid to write. <laughs> we were talking about that today, and how, like, it's got to be one of those. Uh, we're, we'll just keep those as a placeholder, James. Yeah, a placeholder. Don't worry. But like, they couldn't have just made it like element. You know, it's element four thirty seven. You know, just give it some generic like name number combination. But they straight went to unobtainium, only to be one upped by Stanley Tucci in Transformers. I don't know what number where he says the word transformium. Oh God, really? Yeah. See, I'm not up on my Transformers movies. Although knowing the Tucci's in it, I might have to see one. Oof. Nate, I've seen every one of those movies except for the most recent one. And and how do you what's your what's your general score on the movies you've seen? Like a zero. Okay. Or worse. 
See, I've just read about the the number of like racist caricatures, uh, the ways that it seems to have sucked all the joy and and uh, fun out of the cartoon series. Well, TJ has a great uh, description. All the robots look like a bunch of forks fighting another bunch of forks, and they're just these like like impossibly chrome, busy like like nine million moving parts. Like they're so over designed, like it makes you want to throw up watching it in motion. I think that's the thing that did it for me is I saw the first preview for it and I, w- I couldn't make heads or tails of what they were. And it's like, why would you make this so complicated? They, Because, they, yeah, you don't need a bunch of, like, spinning lights and gears and blender blades and whatever. Look, uh, Nate, you don't want your alien robots engaged in a civil war that come to Earth to save humans that also transform into vehicles to be goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, heaven forbid we take the gravitas away from that plot line. Um, so, so, so we jump now to a, a massive kaiju fight because Nagumo is uh, trashing everything, uh, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's basically tra- he trashes uh, Kokoro the monkey beast. He trashes the sister. Um, Oh, they get fucked up. Yeah, they get they get so trashed, and and even Amanu Jaku is like just knocked out. He makes like one final sort of uh, stored up like Mega Buster blast at him to try to do something. Doesn't have any effect. Um, and then we get uh, well, we get two sort of refrains. First of Amanu Jaku yelling at 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 uh, at him to kill the Chojin from within. And, uh, which I thought really reminded me of Akira. I feel like the end of Akira has one character sort of yelling at the mutated other character to like, hey, come on, you gotta just find yourself in there. And Yeah, and they, they this... came out pretty close together, right? Like, Akira, I think, might be a couple years older. Yeah, yeah. But there's definitely, there's definitely a connection there. Um, uh, and then uh, Akeme uh, is revealed to be like a ghost inside Nagumo. Yeah, that, that yeah that took. I had to go back to that because I was at a, like wrangling a dog or something, and I kind of looked up like, wait a minute, I totally missed what happened here. Well, and, and, and weird major flaw of this is for some reason Akeme's ghost has much longer hair than yeah, and, Akeme, which made it. I mean, it made it hard for me to understand. And when I say, and also when I say Akeme is a ghost, I mean she is a just completely nude, floating teenage girl that right. is kind of transparent. But I, if I understand right, she talks out of her vagina a la Ace Ventura? Well, okay, so this is where it got tricky for me, because the Chojin is an embryo gestating within her, and it speaks. Right, okay. But she also speaks, but she doesn't seem to speak with her mouth either. So no. I don't know if she's speaking telepathically, and the Chojin is speaking from the vagina, because there's definitely some vaginal talking, because we, we get kind of a cartoon-like vibration with the talk with the speech lines like like adults in charlie brown yeah um there's yeah. also a character in here i can't remember who it is i don't know if it's nikki or if it's uh um the chojin what is his name the the lead uh, boy nagumo yeah one of them sounds exactly like the voice actor for joseph gribble and i found it really distracting dale's son from king of the hill oh yeah i think i think that was nikki yeah 
But anyway. And, and really, <laughs> and really, Nikki and Joseph Gribble in season four of King of the Hill are fairly similar characters. Yeah, I've been doing a, a pretty thorough rewatch of that show. Man, was that a good show. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been doing the same thing. I've been putting it on since it went back on Hulu. It's just like, yep, we're going to watch this because it's, it's great. It's yeah. got everything right. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Akime comes to the rescue. She's like, hey, let's use our love to overpower the the Chojin and kill ourselves. And she's just begging him to kill them both. Nagumo, please kill us. Just crush me and destroy yourself, and then we can and we can put an end to this, and that'll be for the best. Then we cut to uh, Amanojaku, and apparently the sister and the monkey are still alive, but for some reason the sister's, like, one breast is out. And we have to see that. Yeah. Which, I mean, and, and it's just it's just so weird because it really takes the... The ending of this actually has a, a pretty good amount of weight to it. At least it did for me. I was like, wow, this is this is a good heavy ending to this. Right, but they, they have the, the same joke they have in Half-Baked from the middle of a fight scene. Somebody goes, yo, your titties out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, Akeme keeps begging Nagumo to kill her and stop the Chojin, and they can be to get together forever in another life. Then uh, big demon Nagumo cries kind of a lava tear. And then, uh, and then the Chojin just kills him. Yeah. I guess. And, and, like, crushes yeah. whatever remains of Nagumo's self. Yeah, and it's revealed that that he was always prophesied to destroy the world so that their daughter could rebuild it. Which sounds like a... Which the daughter is played... Or the embryo, the space baby, whatever, is played as, like, a sympathetic character until the very end where it's like, I just didn't like anyone. ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, I don't think you needed. No. No. Um, uh, but... Because it's, it's, like, a massive tone shift in the middle of the conversation. It's like, haha, I was evil the whole time. Like, that actually works worse. Yeah, because it was... I, I felt like, wow, this is... I mean, it was really it was really a cool way to, to end this on a very kind of mature and adult note. Like, okay, all of this, like, sex romp has, has actually come down to uh, a moment of destiny. And then we get just, like, giddy Satan, maybe. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then we find out that it's Akeme who gets locked away in Osaka Castle. Uh, because the Chojin will take 100 years to gestate, which, I mean, good lord, what are they going to do for 100 years? Uh, but uh, at that point, uh, Amano Jaku says, I will live 100 years, or 300 years, or 400 years, however long it takes, um, to stop that baby but the world is already over yeah there appears to be no humans left so what is the point of stopping the rebuild that it's going to turn into like another hell on earth type thing yeah i mean i think that my my sense is that it's it's purely selfish at this point okay amanu jaku is like hey i got duped and i'm, I'm gonna make sure that i stop this because i don't like this result so what's yeah. so what ultimately becomes the thing is this movie it ch tries to tell you that the demons were actually probably the most right the whole time, purely by happenstance. Yeah, I mean they they but but they wanted they wanted to stop this from happening for self preservation, and Amanu Jaku was blindly following uh, a misunderstood myth, I guess. 
Yeah, which is yeah. great. Yeah. But the, the the very end of the movie, that shift that it takes makes me think that they miss whoever, you know, translated it or however they did it, misunderstood the narrative of their own movie or like they had something really good and they just didn't realize it and fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I we probably should have had this probably should have taken more of a Rosemary's Baby style turn earlier on. Yeah. Where where they did it and she found out she was pregnant and was not yet a ghost and it's seen as a blessing and then we would get the reveal that once maybe the the Chojin embryo was near uh uh the giant demon version of uh what's his face that we uh, that then it would be sort of like oh it's uh, something about like the baby's kicking weird and oh no and then it's like okay now now we know it's evil um, I still think you could have kept the whole ending up until where it turns out that the baby is evil. Like, I mean, you could just cut to, like, a, you know, a, a meadow, like, a total, like, reboot of the earth and just, like, you know, a single flower grows. Like, that's the end of the movie. Like, I feel like the ending should have been, like, much lighter. And they tried to make it, like, tonally darker than the rest of the movie, but it just came out kind of silly. Yeah, well, because uh, because the ultimate ultimate ending is is like a fuck you to the audience. It's yeah. like, hey, you you thought this movie was about one thing, but it wasn't. Ha ha ha! The human world is over. Yeah, like I said, even I'm okay with the human world being over as uh, paving the way for the next world. But I don't I don't feel like like it, it feels like a a movie about kind of like you know the the Gaia theory about the Earth just taking back over and getting rid of us. Right, but, but instead of that, it turns into just like, but like the Earth is evil, like the Earth is like twirling its mustache. It's like the a worse version of the ending of Apostle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. That's a really good comparison. I mean, so I mean, part of me wonders if we will, if we would find a more satisfying conclusion to this in watching the sequel that I think is called something about the Demon Womb. Well, according to TJ, he was going to do the show, but he got tied up. The sequel has nothing to do with this. Like, they don't even acknowledge that the first movie happened. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, then, then, I, like, then it, wow. That that actually, that really changes my, my score of this, too, then. Um, yeah, that's disappointing. Because I, I, I would have thought this would leave things off in uh, for a sequel that was about Amanujaku striving to uh, stop the Chojin from being born. And perhaps realizing a la the matrix that you just have to let the thing reset. Yeah. I mean, that would have been fine since it's all like a, a really heavy handed biblical allegory anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a time is a flat circle fucking story. You know what I mean? Like that's all it needs to be. Yeah. 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 You're right. I, we, yeah, we could have really done without the mustache twirling. Yeah. Well, you want to give out the waifus and then get to the live action corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, okay. You go first. What do you? What do you? How many waifus, Sean? It's tough. You know what? Like, if you somehow like, and I'm not a sensitive person like at all. Um, in fact, in some ways, I'm an awful person. But like, there's just too much rape in this. Like, if you eliminated all the rape and just tweaked the ending, this is like an eight or a nine. Like, I, I thought agree. the animation's all good. The fucking the the design is excellent. The this is some of the best voice work we've had besides like the Cowboy Bebop movie. Uh, for the dub, 
Like, I thought they were all really good, and they weren't as, like, stilted as normal, even though they did say asshole, like, an unusual amount of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, no, the cast is really good. I really liked, uh, <clears throat> even, like, I can't remember his name, the the protagonist, not the Overfiend, but the uh, Amaya, what the fuck is his name? Amanojaku? Yeah. Like, I liked him as a character. I liked the idea of, like, the brother-sister bounty hunter kind of thing. Like, yeah. I thought all that shit worked. But it's, like, four different movies happening at the same time. Yeah, so it really you, is. You add all the other shit back into it, it's like a five. Because it's, like, the, the shit that's bad in is really, it's, like, distracting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, like, how long, because, like, it's not even just that they're, like, rape scenes. They're, like, they go on forever, and it's, like... I'm not, I don't feel like watching this, you know what I mean? And then I'm going to miss, you know, two minutes of whatever the next scene is because I'm still kind of, like, not paying attention because of the previous scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, the, there's no, there is no uh, narrative value to most of the rape that happens in this. I mean, and there's not really any, I don't know, like, there, and, and there's really no narrative value to any of the sexuality that happens for this. It's like... Sometimes it's a complete joke, and other times it's completely serious, but it's never, like, it doesn't have to be in it. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I, I, I was going to say it's like, it, it's an eight if you take all that crap, if you take all that stuff out. If you take out all the rape and you, and you just kind of reconstitute the plot of this, which is a very cool storyline, and you take all of the other elements and, and, you know, and, and fix that ending, um... Yeah, I mean, I, I I'd be with you and give it a give it like a five or a six at most, because um, yeah. it's really I, you know as a story the story's good, and it is it's it's extraordinarily well animated. It might be the best animated thing we've watched so far because it's so busy. There's a lot to draw in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot going on all the time. The demons are really cool looking and really original looking, and they all look very different from one another. Um, the, the gruesomeness of the deaths, uh, are, is all, it's all animated really well to the point where it, it is physically sickening, uh, several times. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just a movie that I, I don't really understand why it, why the sex is in there. And I wish I had like a good sense of like the intent. Yeah, because it wasn't even. Because I agree with you. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not an overly sensitive person either. Like, nudity in movies doesn't really bother me. Like, I've transcended the point of any sort of titillation generally, anyway. But oh, I haven't. But I just I don't care one way or another. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, sure. Yeah. But this was like this wasn't this wasn't sort of like it didn't feel. I don't know. It didn't feel like it served a purpose or that it was pushing a taboo or it was trying to it, challenge it, something. It felt like the only purpose was the prurient. You know what I mean? Like, it was just yeah. there to be fuck scenes. Like, gross fuck scenes. Like, maybe it's a cultural thing that we don't get like we would understand if we lived there. Yeah. It's it was... imagery that pops up a lot, obviously. Like, it's a whole genre of animation and, you know, comics unto itself over there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it it really it 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 is sort of narratively it feels like the equivalent of a Skinamax noir. Yeah, where it's like, hey, so uh, we got a mystery about uh, guys laundering drug money, but every seven minutes there's going to be a shower scene or a soft focus uh, 
you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like one of those those Cinemax jerk pictures. If it cost one hundred and ten million dollars, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, because yeah. the scale of the the production value in this movie is amazing. Like, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautifully drawn, it, and it is. It's fun to watch. It's like it's it's pretty riveting until about that hour mark when it's sort of like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing anymore. It's like we ran out of jizz. <laughs> yeah, which this movie never runs out. No. <laughs> All right. So uh, so you you gave it a five, and I'm giving it a five. Yeah. All right. Fives are fives across the board. Um, but really, yeah, I think we both agree, and and you know, I pass this on to TJ too. Like, it's it's an eight if it was more coherent and didn't rely so heavily on just all the boning. Like, I would still, unless you're like someone with like a very soft heart, I would recommend watching it. Yeah, still at least once. Yeah, it's it's worth it's worth. It's seeing. not without value. I I mean I can we can only speak to the one we watched on YouTube. I don't know if the uh, completely uncensored version is. Yeah, is quite the same because I don't know if I'd want to see it, but no, I'm um, yeah, you know, it's it's worth it for for its position in sort of anime history and lore, I think, and and it it's got some really cool worlds with all you know with the the demons, the humans, and the and the half demon, half half human things. So good stuff. You wanna you wanna talk about? Sorry to bother you. Yeah, we're gonna talk about sorry to bother you for a few minutes, and we'll probably spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, shut off now. You've been warned. Four, three, two, one. Nate is my favorite movie this year, like by far. It's it's one of the best movies I've ever seen, Sean. <laughs> we watched it. We watched it on uh, on Wednesday night. Did you watch it with Jenny? Yeah, we did. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know that it that it hit her quite the same way it hit me, but. Uh, She's not as much into some of the sci-fi elements that that are incorporated later. Um, uh, I was just, it was great. It's uh, so I, when you when you mentioned it on on movie the podcast, uh, you kind of you you noted that a lot of people are comparing it to Get Out, which um, aside from that there were black people in it, which you brought up very astutely, as this has become sort of the bad cultural currency blanket. It's cool too because Boots manages to make a movie that is uh it's a science fiction movie it's a workplace comedy it's a uh social activism movie all at the same time which is cool because it's cross genre the way get out is but it's a totally different movie from get out yeah, but like, so yeah like that's the thing get out is still like recognizable as like a hollywood maybe not like you know, a triple A hundred million dollar movie, but it's recognizable as a movie that people in Hollywood would make. This is something else. Oh yeah. No, this is, this is, this is unlike, I mean, it's unlike any, any movie that I've, that I've seen, especially for his, it's such a beautiful, well done movie. It's so perfectly written. Um, the jokes are solid. The characterization is solid. The, the ways that they talk about race and talk about the the different experiences between black people and white people are both very overt and also extraordinarily subtle at the same time. Um, specifically, uh, uh, Detroit's white voice, which we yeah. don't know exists until her art gallery opening. No, I, I do like that it, it does take, like, I think a, a playful jab at woke culture. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all still kind of full of shit. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think that's definitely the point. But it was also it was also this sort of like, you know, she's resisting because she's sort of the the most uh, uh, progressive uh, sort of pseudo Antifa person in the movie, I guess. Yeah, um, the left eye movement, which I found fucking hysterical. Yeah, like, the first time that came up, I died. That was so good. Um, but uh, you know, she she's still she's she's a performance artist, and uh, when she's doing her uh, when she's doing her stuff, it's what is it, Lily Clark or Lily Carter? I can't remember. It's a British actress who does yeah. her white voice because, of course, to to sell uh, giant. Her- Pretentious artwork. bullshit. Yeah, to sell her artwork about African, uh, about African genocide and colonialism, she has to put on a an English patois to to convince people that it's worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. Right, um, and, and engage in like like I wasn't talking about the big things of Africa being pretentious, but she has to engage in like this like art in this pretentious sort of way just to get people to. Um, Oh, you mean like or other thing. the self-flagellation art thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, this movie is about um, Lakeith Stanfield needs a job. So he and, – and the movie opens uh, as a very conventional, like, person looking for a job movie. Yeah. He's just he's, – he's in a job interview. He's, he's forged some – information about his work history and education because he thinks he needs to to get this telemarketing job we get a delightful joke that no i don't care about that at all but yeah. i do appreciate your your that you're a self-starter because you came up with all this stuff i was in right away because uh the guy that interviews him is in one of my favorite movies from last year or the year before he was in you were never really or not you were never really here um what is the make a blair movie it also has a really long title I don't feel home in this world anymore. Did you see that? Oh, no, I still didn't, but you... Oh, you should, yeah. I gotta, I gotta check that out. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a, a charming, funny... Like, it's a very lighthearted movie to open, and then we start getting these... I mean, the way they pepper in the the uh, dystopianness of... Um, what's the company called? Worry-free? Worry-free, that's right. Um, Worry-free, which is... Uh, like an Amazon Apple composite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're, they're this Omnicorp that does vague consumer things. They, they, they manufacture a bunch of products. Yeah. And uh, what Worry Free offers as a product is uh, you can sign yourself up or your whole family up to never have to pay a bill again and never have to worry about food again. Uh, but you basically enter into a lifetime uh, enslavement contract. Yeah, so, if, you, if, if you're at all familiar with the way cellular phones are made overseas and those, like, dormitory-style houses that they're all forced to live in, it's kind of like that. Yeah, you, you, you live in the uh, bunk bed stacked, uh, overloaded set of Orange is the New Black Season 4. But it's um, all presented in, like, these primary colors, and it's all, like, super silly-looking. Yeah, everything's everything's like candy coated to try to make it not look like jail, but it's definitely jail. <laughs> yeah, um, and like the food, their like tray of food is fucking hysterical because it's like half a ham, like a piece of cake, like it's just like the silliest looking shit. <laughs> but yeah, so you got this, you got this, this business doing this, and they've uh, they've just 
won a lawsuit to say that it's not slavery. Um, and we're sort of watching, I mean, it, it's like you said on, on movie, the podcast, it's, it's, it's a movie about, uh, how much of yourself you're willing to sell for success. Um, because yeah, and it, it turns out that the telemarketing is like a, a training ground for us, like legal, but morally bankrupt salesman positions, like selling weapons, uh, selling slave labor for worry free. And the, everybody's trying to work their way up to being a power caller. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character is having a hard time making any sales. He turns to, uh, Danny Glover, who ends up being his, his sort of, uh, Obi-Wan character, at least in the first act of the movie, who wonderfully says, I'm too old for this shit <laughs> at one point. And I was like, ah, thank you. Um, but yeah, Danny Glover explains like, oh, hey, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not making sales because you're not using your white voice. And, and, uh, Cassius is Lakeith Stanfield's character's name says, well, uh, everybody, all my friends already think I talk white anyway. And Danny Glover says, well, not Will Smith white. Like yeah, white. That, that, that's proper. I want you to talk white. <laughs> Which I, they, they I, I, I thought it was, it makes you wonder if Boots Riley has had to deal with that, um, accusation before. Like if, you know, you speak, you know, quote unquote properly that that's talking white. Because it's like a very like noticeable line that's in that script. Oh yeah, they, they, you get you get a very. I mean, Danny Glover's little monologue there is so powerful because he he lays that out. He and then he explains what what talking white is, which is uh, talking as if you don't have to think about whether you're going to have food on the table. Uh, talking like you know this person's your friend and you've got nothing to fear or worry about or you know. I, I can't remember it exactly, but it's a very it's a very distinct like this is an ethos about how people feel about themselves and therefore they talk a certain way. Oh, and I, I don't think we mentioned that they're telemarketing. They're selling encyclopedias, which is also hysterical because it takes place like what you assume is like present day in this kind of like alternate dimension. Oh yeah, and 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 Cassius starts doing his white voice, which turns out it's David Cross's voice. So I, I mean, I have to give. Uh, insane praise to to the acting in this movie because Lakeith Stanfield does a David Cross lip sync impression that is incredibly convincing. Like it's not like they drop the dub in and it feels alien. It really like you start sort of seeing the voice and and person connect, which was unexpected. Um, but yeah, they're selling encyclopedias, and Lakeith Stanfield, uh, with his David Cross voice, starts selling shitloads of encyclopedias. <laughs> like, he's he's making, what, a dozen sales a day or something. Yeah, he, he's killing it. He's killing the game. While uh, Steven Yun is a, like a professional rabble-rouser, he goes from place to place starting unions. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like, uh, he's like a, a, a Bruce Banner for union creation. <laughs> he just rolls into town with his... With his backpack starts a union and moves on um uh yeah and, and yeah so yeah i mean it was just it, it's remarkable because then as he he works his way up the ranks um you have great you have great uh, performances from all of like the secondary white middle management characters in the phone bank as well yeah um like uh miss de, de 
Debacheri. Yeah, this, yeah, Dave Sherry's like, that's a debauchery. She's like, well, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, just lots of great jokes. And like one of the like one of the manager guys just spouts a lot of like taglines. I mean, it's very it's very much like uh, uh, corporate America. Yeah. If you've been in a meeting before this, you're on board with this movie. Yeah. It's all teams and partnerships and leveraging resources and all that other fucking, like, nonsense corporate babble. Yeah, and, and, and Diva Cherry, her whole thing is, I don't want you to think of yourselves as employees. We're all a team. And she go, she you know, she does that whole thing, and it's very clear she doesn't care anything about any of these people and never is going to, in the same yeah. way that it is when a middle management type says that to a room of other human beings in the real world. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, Cassius works his way up, um, there, uh, while Steven Yoon's, what's Steven Yoon's character's name again? Squeeze. Squeeze. So, yeah, so Cassius is working his way up through the company, Squeeze is starting an insurrection among the workers of the call center, uh, to start a protest, and then this is where the, the movie takes its first turn, which is, uh, Cassius takes a promotion as a power caller to go upstairs and he's going to sell the workers who are indentured to worry free to various companies. So he's cold calling companies to offer them uh, free labor basically to manufacture profit. He's undercutting the Chinese with labor from America. Yep. So mind boggles. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, so we have that split and this causes his relationship with Detroit, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, to just erode. Uh, and she and Squeeze, Squeeze start having kind of a relationship thing, or at least that's alluded to. But uh, soon enough, Cassius gets the notice of um, of the Bezos character, whose name is... What's uh, shit, what is his name? Something, it's not like Tom Swift, but it's something like that. It's like Lyft, right? Yeah, and it's uh, played by Army Hammer, who's doing a John Hamm impression, but it's brilliant. Oh, it's, he's great in this, and I mean, yeah. he's not, he doesn't have to do that much, but yeah. So he Steve Lyft. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so now Cassius is hanging out at the at the party for all the power callers, and it's just uh, a, a Dionysian orgy, literally. Um, People go from partying to just all fucking each other. Uh, and, and this movie is full of really wonderfully designed, like, hallway tracking shots. Yeah. That serve to sort of disorient you and keep you feeling like you never have seen the full picture because it just keeps pulling back further and further and further. And corridors seem to get longer and wider as it does. It's it's such a beautiful movie. Yeah, and then... um. After the, there's a scene we probably shouldn't talk about, or at least like we can't really talk about talk about. But they it, all insist that Cassius knows how to rap because he's black. Yeah, and he can't rap, and then he defaults to just chanting this phrase that everybody starts chanting. They're like, yeah, yep. Which, um, yeah, I mean, can we we can say it. it's he says n word shit. Yeah, but he's like n word shit, n word shit, n word shit, n word shit. Everybody's like chanting it. Like, it's that's tough, man. Yeah, because like, he, he's trying... He, well, first, like, they... Uh, uh, Army Hammer's character 
keeps goading him to rap. He's like, yeah. no, no, I bet you can. No, no, you can totally rap. And forces him to go up in front of all these other people. And he starts trying to, to rhyme, and he, he's not doing well at it because not every black person can rap. And then he just defaults to, to that and repeating it. And suddenly the place is like bonkers lit up by this song that he's created. Which is, I assume, a commentary on hip-hop from about 2009 to present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that was, I was, yeah. I mean, this, yeah. this, this movie is just so good. And it's so, it's so timeless, I think, in a way, too. That, because it's not, it isn't securely pinned to any sort of era. There's not a lot of cell phones. There's not a lot of anything that makes you think, like, this has to happen. Right. There's not, this... like, a bunch of future tech or fucking... Right. Yeah, iPads, you're right. There's not, like, a whole lot of signifiers. Aside from the reveal video that we get, uh, because uh, this takes another turn, which is... Oh, yeah, uh, well, there's also... Well, we don't have to do beat for beat, but there's also uh, some to do about Cash is getting hit in the head with a soda can by one of the protesters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that, like, he ends up with stigmata for the rest of the movie, basically, as, like, a, a wound that won't heal. But the woman that threw the Coke gets signed up by the Coke company to do commercials parodying throwing the Coke can. And, and there becomes, like, a Halloween uh, boom of people <laughs> buying Afro wigs with a Coke can stuck into them. To yeah, be, it's uh, getting hit in the head. It's a reference to the old slogan: "Have a coke and a smile, and shut the fuck up." Well, it's actually it's it's a double reference because there's "have a coke and a smile," and then there's the Eddie Murphy bit where he's talking about how Bill Cosby got mad at him for cursing. Richard Pryor said, "Well, tell Bill I said to have a coke and a smile and shut the fuck up." <laughs> but they can't say coke, so they say cola, which you know, obviously. Yeah, we know we know what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's just, there's so many beautiful layers to this movie, and so many just little touches that they're funny, and they're meaningful, and you just, you can't miss them. Um, uh, so, Army Hammer invites uh, Cassius to his office to make an offer to him, uh, because he's so psyched about the rap performance he gave the night before, and his <laughs> and his call numbers. Um, and the whole time, like, Army Hammer is doing this He's doing the evil uh, present-day billionaire type, right? He's doing the evil tech guy. He's doing a, a Zuckerberg meets Bezos meets uh, Jobs meets uh, whoever, where yeah. it's, it's basically like, hey, you know, we just want to do things to make America a better place. And he's always just exploiting everything he can exploit whenever he can. Uh, so he's hanging out in the office. Uh Army Hammer gives him a plate of Coke to snort on a very well-chosen plate, which I love yeah. the reveal of that after, because you don't even pay attention to it the first time. And, like, a line of Coke doesn't do it justice. He basically has, like, a Sega Dreamcast logo worth of cocaine on, like, a tea saucer. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and Cassius snorts it, and he's like, oh, shit, this this is strong. And uh, And then Army Hammer begins to, well, he pulls a gun out. And he's like, hey, you gotta, I'm, I'm going to make you an offer. I want you to do this. So he, he makes him this offer th that involves watching a video. <laughs> I love that, like, you, no, just let me show you the video. Like, that happens, like, four times, and it's funny every time. It's like, no, you'll understand when you see the video. Yeah, just, just watch. And, and he's saying, you'll understand, just watch the video in this calm, casual way while pointing a magnum at him. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so we watched the video, and it turns out that, oh, uh, worry-free isn't getting enough productivity out of human workers, so they're going to genetically modify humans to be half-horse. Uh, they call this hybrid an equisapien. Yeah. And the equisapiens are going to be stronger and more powerful and all sorts of stuff. Um, I love Army Hammer's line that, see, we're, we made horsemen for a reason. I don't want you to think I'm a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, because it, it's interesting because it's like, it's the same, it is the same sort of reasoning that, that is why like a company CEO decides it's a rational decision to make short-term uh, short-term gain-based choices that ultimately ruin a company. Yeah. Because it's always like, well, no, we have a reason. I'm, I'm doing this for shareholder value. Like, it's a rational decision I'm making. I'm not being a monster. And that's what Army Hammer's position is, too, is we're, we're making <laughs> hybrid human horses uh, for a good cause. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, well, and we we sort of tripped right over the reveal, but so prior to seeing the video, Cassius is like, hey, I really got to pee. So he, he, he's sent out to look for a, uh, jade door, a jade door. And he's sent into a hallway where all of the doors are various tones of green. So he goes into a door, um, and in there he finds kind of like a creepy, uh, locker room, like, High school locker room. Yeah. It's like, all right. Lit, where there's a guy in a bathroom stall who's like, hey, man, I'm in a lot of pain. You got to help me. You got to help me. And he, like, smashes against the thing. And then he, the guy bursts the, the bathroom stall open. And it's an Equisapien. Uh, it is a person who is disturbingly horse-like and also has a very big dick. <laughs> that, that point is brought up several times. It's like, and don't forget, you'll have a big horse cock. Yeah. That's, that's Army Hammer's sales pitch. In addition to the uh, $100 million he's going to give him. Dude, I wish they would make a t-shirt with that $100 million offer on it. Because it's like this, like a child scrawled $100 million with a smiley face on yeah. it. That's yeah, it's not a formal offer, offer at all. It's... But let's let's pin the plot for right now. Let's not ruin the very, very end of it. Sure. Um, but if you got this far, I mean, we've already ruined most of it. But, like... I was talking about with TJ. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Like, it's a weird movie by a weird person. And, like, you ever sat down and, like, I'm going to write something weird. And it feels like you're trying really hard to be weird. I think he's just a weird dude. Yeah, and no, because like, this doesn't feel contrived or it doesn't feel like he's he's putting on an air or anything. This is just, like, this weirdness flows together really nicely. Right, and it just, like, it gets exponentially stranger as the movie goes on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, it, it ends on, it ends on a truly strange and surprising note. Um, yeah. That is, that is uh, really positive. I enjoyed the ending. I thought the ending was great. Um, yeah, and everything's earned, you know what I mean? It doesn't have just, like, some dumb twist ending for the sake of, like, everything makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, every, yeah, everything everything follows uh, narratively, and and you know it all of the all of the points that they that he makes in social commentary in the beginning come back in the end in in different ways that are really compelling. I mean, it's because it's it, this is amusing on like police brutality and on workers' rights and on uh, capitalism in general. Yeah, just this this kind of run rampant uh, 
not like I don't know. It's not because it's not even pure capitalism. It's like oligarchic capitalism that we that we exist in. Um, yeah, it, it's there's nothing like it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, like I, like I said on the show, I've seen better like quote unquote crafted movies, but this is such like a, a tremendous hack at the plate. You know what I mean? Like this is such a big swing. Oh yeah. And it, and it like, I, I appreciate, like, I love an ambitious failure, but, like, an ambitious success is a rare thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's I think almost... this is, this is so, this is such a, this is a lofty reach, and, and he grabs everything he goes for. And it's crazy because, like, it's almost like, and I don't, I don't know his background as far as, like, his study of film. I mean, I know his music, but this is his first, like, you know, actual movie written and directed. And it almost feels like nobody told him he couldn't do certain things. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, you can't do that's just not how movies are made. You just don't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's he's not he's not pulling any punches in any situation. And I mean just the just the rap sequence that we talked about alone. Like someone would have Hollywood noted that up. Yeah. And like, I don't think you can do this. And it's like, well no, the point is is that this is what you expect from us. I mean, Spike Lee could have done it, but you know he's had how many movies now, and right, it's and it's like, yeah, it's sort of it, it, it. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing, right? Because it's sort of like anything Spike Lee does now doesn't have the gravity it had before, no, because he's done it so much. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big defender of Spike Lee. TJ is not a big fan of him. All they did like Black Klansman. I always thought he had something to say. I mean, his movies aren't for everybody, but I'm a fan of most of them. Yeah, I like most of them too. I think the only one I've ever really disliked was was Chirac. I didn't see that. It's I mean, you should see it cuz it's it's just like I don't know. Uh, it's something like, about it didn't work for me. You should you should watch it and, and we can talk about it sometime cuz yeah. it it's yeah, it's kind of a, a retelling of like a Peloponnesian war era like Greek story about the the women withhold sex from the men until they stop killing each other. And it's all in the context of like Chicago gang violence. Okay. Which, on that on its face, that sounds really cool. I don't feel like it was executed as well as it could have been, but you know, like I love Bamboozled, but it's not a movie that like people walk away from feeling very good. Right. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it's it's an assault on everybody, and it's like justified. You know what I mean? Like everybody gets it in that movie, and everybody kind of deserves it, like culturally. Yeah. Um, well, that's. I mean, it has honestly. It has a lot. Like, I'm not saying that the two have anything to do with each other, but there's a lot of like the themes of that movie in this movie. But I think this is a more palatable movie. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I agree. And I. I, I think this. Yeah. I think. I think. Sorry to bother you. Really. It is. I mean, the whole white voice thing is kind of a minstrel show reference. Right. But it's, then, it's made like, it's it's funny enough. To, like, get people to get through it without, like, automatically shutting down, like, unlike, like, you you know, mentioned in Bamboozled, where it is a literal minstrel show, and it's, like, people just, it, it makes people uncomfortable, and it's supposed to, but, like, I don't, I think, like, it makes them so uncomfortable, they can't just, they can't deal with it. Right. Yeah, you, yeah, it's that, it's that question, I guess, of, of how, how palatable do you have to make the medicine, right? Like, yeah. This sorry to bother you has the appropriate amount of sugar on on a good dose of medicine. Yeah, and bamboozled is like a battlefield tracheotomy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I recommend both of those movies. Um, 
but this one, no, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's my favorite movie this year. And like, as much as I've loved First Reformed, which we talked about, and like, it's just so, it's just a fucking weird. It's like, it's like, hey man, you know, I'm studio exec so-and-so, you can't make your social commentary movie about workers' rights turn into a fucking Twilight Zone episode about horse people halfway through it. Like, it's just, no, you gotta, you gotta have more signposts in the beginning, or you have to make it like explicit that it's a science fiction movie, because if you saw the first half an hour of this movie... And then just came back, and like you didn't watch it or whatever, and somebody's talking about it at a party or something. And they'd be like, "Oh yeah," and then this and this happened. Be like, "Are we talking about the same fucking movie?" There's no way. Oh yeah, no. You could. I mean, if you if you went to, I mean, heaven forbid that you did, but if you took like a toddler to this movie and had to take the kid to the bathroom for like 20 minutes in the middle, and you yeah. came back in, you'd be like, "Holy shit, I walked in the wrong theater." It it is. It's so markedly different. But I think that's I think that's why I like it too. Is that it's. It's not okay. Like it, sh- it, it's, it shouldn't work. Like there's so many parts of this that like sh- ju- it just shouldn't fit. Right, but it but it but it is its title, right? Sorry to bother you when this movie functions both as uh, an apology and as a and as an attack, right? Yeah. It's basically like when a telemarketer calls and says sorry to bother you, they're not fucking sorry, and that's the point of this movie. Is Boots isn't sorry that he's doing this. He's like, hey, uh, I changed the movie halfway through. If that bothered you, sorry, fuck you. Like, yeah. it's 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 a it's a sorry not sorry movie, but it's not and it's not mean. It's in that same way that sorry to bother you is so double edged and 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 uh, passive aggressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, I I'm so happy that I saw it, uh, and uh, uh, yeah. I will. I will almost certainly watch it again because I feel like I will see signposts that I didn't notice. Uh, there's because there's a lot. I mean, there's a whole lot of of uh, kind of just background shots and news clips and things that happen in this that that you think you're getting all of it, and I'm yeah. sure there's even more in there that we're missing. It's like that old uh, you know Fox's transition to hardcore pornography so gradual I didn't even notice. It yeah. was like this movie's. Transition from a, like a kind of like millennials <clears throat> urban office space until this horseman movie was so well executed that like you don't even realize what's going on, and then when it happens, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and they and 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 what I love too is that they don't you don't get you don't get like those traditional horror beats with the score change when yeah. things are revealed. So it gives you this feeling of, oh, I don't know what's been revealed. Well, it's it's another thing. It's like, you know, that balance we're talking about with that, like, spoonful of sugar. It's like this horrific horseman, but this comically huge penis swinging around. You know what I mean? It's like just enough to kind of like, okay, I'm settled. Uh, you know, this is funny. This is horrific, but this is funny. Right, yeah. Like, I can deal with it. I can process what's going on here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect movie. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it, it is an achievement. I'm a big... Uh, and, like, I was, like... Because I saw the the trailer, I think, when we saw You Were Never Really Here. Some, one of the, like, kind of lower-budget, kind of indie-type movies. This trailer played, and I was, like... I thought it was 100% a movie about the white voice, which is, like, I you know, I get where they're coming from. This seems like a stretch to make a feature film out of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. 
that was what, and that was kind of what I thought too. Is I, I thought, okay, this is really interesting. And then I had heard, I'd heard a couple of other people because I think uh, Lakeith Stanfield was on. He was on Comedy Bang Bang, which I, I listen to every week. Um, yeah. He was on. He was on that show. And Scott Ackerman kind of alluded to the fact that there's more here to this, that it becomes something that's really different than what you think it is. And I was really intrigued by that. And then it sort of, I think it just kind of got out of the theater before I had a chance to go see it. Yeah. And then I know, uh, knowing, yeah. Rick Claypool, I know he was a big fan of it. Oh, I know yeah. he had mentioned it a lot. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. This is, uh, everybody's can, can see I, this movie. Can I tell you a story? I, I don't know if Rick listens, but hopefully he'll laugh about this story. Um, when we're doing the cover for Rick's book, for Leech Girl Lives, which is mm-hmm. a book we both love. And, like, the first book, I think we were like, yeah, we're, we're publishing this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, 100%. Like, resounding joy that it was a possibility. Like, I was in a class at work, and I think I ran out of the room and emailed you at God knows what time it was, uh, mountain time, about it. But Rick is a very, um, I don't want to say sensitive. But he's very cognizant of the way... The human body is portrayed, I guess. Yeah, would be the best yeah. way to put it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, and Rick, if you're listening, we're having fun with like this story because it was, it just made me laugh. The first uh, design for the cover was kind of like a like a typical kind of like like pulp cover kind of comic, you know, uh, from shot from behind Margot, like a kind of like long shot going upward towards the the, tartic the water bear. Yeah, yeah, and you know. She, she had butt cheeks. Nothing like, and you saw it, it was nothing like outrageous. Like, it wasn't like a Frazetta thing or anything. It wasn't as bad as that one, like, uh, Spider-Woman comic cover. No, no, that, it, wasn't, called it wasn't anything like that. But, yeah. like, it, it was like, okay, well, you know, she has an ass. It's, and I remember he was like, I don't really like this. And I was like, cool. So I'm, I'm talking to TJ. And I was like, so this is what he said. And he looks at me and he's like, Women have asses. I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which I always thought was a funny story. Like, I always like that. Like, I, every time I see that book now, the first thing I think of is Leech Girl Lives, colon, Women Have Asses, comma, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> so, yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah, we went long. We did. We've gone, yeah, gotta... gone real long. And that, strong and down to get the friction on. Oh man! Uh, after yeah, after two movies featuring uh, comically gigantic penises, I think we've we've done a great job for the week. <laughs> yeah. So we'll you know we'll figure out what we're doing halfway through next week like we normally do, and then um, yeah, man. As always, uh, good to have you. Yeah, this was talk to you. this was a pleasure as it is every time, and I'm 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 so happy we get to do this because you know we we've been uh, we've been long distance friends for a t- for a long time, and it's it's good to have like a, yet another collaborative project to work on where we yeah, actually nice talk. To, yeah, nice to have like a scheduled thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just like oh, I wonder what you're doing, or you know, because we're in different time zones and all that shit. So yeah, no, this is uh, ah, I love it. <laughs> Me too, and I love you. I love you too, brother. All right, buddy. All right. Talk to you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.